Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to In Real Life with Evan Halvren. Today we will be talking about the Bud Light controversy continuing and the Supreme Court being on a roll with these cases that they're deciding. Uh, most of you guys probably have heard, but there is a controversy surrounding Bud Light currently and Anheuser Bush as a whole. And that controversy is because they decided to put a transgender person by the name of Dylan Mulvaney in the forefront of Bud Light's advertising. They created a commercial with him, had him push their advertising. And because of that, the stock has dropped and sales have dropped. And now Anheuser-Busch can't sell Bud Light fast enough. They can't get any of it off the shelves. And they are trying to get back in the good graces of Americans. And they've made some commercials that are supposed to be these American commercials. One of them, they made about a month ago, which used Clydesdales. And they called this commercial The Shared Spirit. And it showed this Clydesdale running around, trotting around America. Uh, somehow he got from the St. Louis Gateway Arch all the way to New York. It's a very far run for a Clydesdale. And it showed people putting up the American flag and, and a woman saluting it. And it contained this inspirational music and this tone of togetherness. And, to be honest, it was not a bad commercial, albeit a little bit cheesy. That a week and a half ago, they released another commercial and used the song Chicken Fried by Zach Brown Band, which, if you don't know that song, it goes, it's the one that goes, cold beer on a Friday night, yada yada yada. And another good song, with some American tones. But, I do not believe that Bud Light or Anheuser-Busch is going to get back into the good graces of Americans by just using American tones in their commercials. And I have some reasoning for that. It's because recently, Bud Light was forced to close down a glass plant in Wilson because apparently Anheuser-Busch is not selling enough. And WARL News released this article. In it, it says, With Bud Light's huge drop in sales last week, the plant's owner, the Ardaugh Group, announced it would be shutting down the factory in mid-July, laying off close to 400 employees. In a statement last Thursday, the company told the Rustin leader in Louisiana that the Wilson plant is closing, along with the Rustin plant, which employs 245 people. The statement doesn't identify specific reason for the closures, only calling them a part of a multi-year performance optimization program. And that was a lie, ladies and gentlemen. That was a complete and utter lie. And we know this because WRAL News obtained an internal memo from the Wilson plant manager. And this was a memo sent out on May 18th that said, Due to slow sales with Anheuser InBev, two of the factory's production lines would be shutting down. And WRAL News talked to some employees that say most of their business was making bottles for Budweiser and Bud Light. That was the majority. Industry data shows Bud Light sales fell 24% during May because of the national boycott. 
And at a meeting at the Wilson Glass plant last Wednesday, employees say the plant manager told them the boycott was forcing them to shut down because Budweiser is no longer selling product. They no longer need the product of the glass. And in February, before the controversy, Arda's CEO said fourth quarter earnings in Europe and Africa were up 110% compared to the year before, while North America saw a 9% drop in shipments and failing and falling revenue. So this was already coming. However, it was going to be a very slow trickle. And because of this, Bud Light was two, or not just Bud Light, but there were over 600 un- uh, unemployed people now in Wilson, Louisiana. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I think Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch is going to continue to drop into the ground. On another note, the Supreme Court has made some very critical rulings recently. One of them being Students for Fair Admissions Incorporated versus President and Fellows of Harvard College, which, in a little bit more simple terms, was affirmative action versus no affirmative action. And so what affirmative action was, was basically... If an Asian student applies to Harvard and a black student applies to Harvard and they have all these same scores, the black student would have a better chance of getting in. And that would even happen if the Asian student had slightly better scores and better grades than the black student. And so contrary to what Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said, it was judging people on their skin color, and not the content of their character, the content of their brain. And there were a lot of opinions on this on the Supreme Court, so if you don't know how the Supreme Court works, all the justices will hear the case, and then a couple will write concurrences and dissents, and then there will be one, which will be the opinion, and that will be written by the majority. And, in this case, Justice Roberts wrote the opinion, and normally there's only one or two concurrences, and then maybe a dissent. In this case, there were three concurrences by Clarence Thomas, Brett Kavanaugh, and Gorsuch, and there were two dissents by Sotomayor and Kataji Brown-Jackson. And all of these were extremely long, and all of these were extremely boring. And you're probably saying now, all concurrences, dissents, and opinions that come from the Supreme Court are boring. And that is true for the most part. However, the next Supreme Court case we talk about, there is a small portion that I want to take out because it's hilarious. But the summary of the opinion by Roberts was that In the Harvard College admissions process, race is a determinative tip for a significant percentage of all admitted African-American and Hispanic applicants. And this was also a case against UNC, the University of North Carolina. 
and that was challenged in a different case by Students for Fair Admissions Incorporated. But the Supreme Court held that both programs violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And the court held that SFFA complies with the standing requirements for organizational plaintiffs as a voluntary membership organization with identical members who support its mission and whom SFFA represents in good faith. That's a little bit more of a side piece that just showed that SFFA could sue. But the court said that these systems also use race as a negative and employ stereotypes. College admissions are a zero-sum, and a benefit provided to some applicants is necessarily at the expense of others. The systems employ the offensive and demeaning assumption that students of a particular race think alike, and these systems lack a logical endpoint. What that means is that the court can no longer, or the court ruled that colleges can no longer have race play at all into whether a person gets into college or not. And while this may lead to less people of different colors, of different skin tones, getting into colleges, what happened when affirmative action was put into play at first was that, well, yes, there were more black and brown students in college. There were also more black and brown students dropping out of college. It equalized itself. And it did this because there were people, not just black and brown, but of all different colors, in colleges that they didn't deserve to be in. And deep, deep down, these people knew this. And they they couldn't compete with their peers. And so they dropped out. And that was the equalizer. Now there will be no equalizer because there will be no need to equalize. But there was some remarks, the White House put out remarks by President Biden on the Supreme Court's decision on affirmative action. And this is pretty long. I want to go through and I want to read almost all of it. Oh, he says hello. 45 years. For 45 years, the United States Supreme Court has recognized the college's freedom to decide how, how to build diverse student bodies and to meet the responsibility of opening doors of opportunity for every single American. Mr. President, former Vice President Joe Biden, that's not what a college is meant for. It's not meant for them to build diverse student bodies, and it's not meant to open doors of opportunity for every single American. It's meant to build student bodies that are qualified and it is meant to open doors of opportunity for those who are deserving. In case after case, including recently, just a few years ago in 2016, the court has affirmed and reaffirmed this view, that colleges could use race not as a determinative factor for admission, but as one of the factors among many in deciding who to admit from a qual from a qualified, already qualified pool of applicants. Now, I gaffed there because he gaffed, and that is actually written in the transcript, which I think is kind of hilarious. It shows him gaffing. It shows him not being able 
to, to get out his thoughts, which were written down of him, in front of him on a piece of paper. But again, he is wrong. Because, in fact, if someone gets better scores and someone gets worse scores and the person that gets worse scores gets into college over the person with better scores, that would mean that the race was a determinative factor in whether they got in. And, in fact, race should not be a factor at all. And there is nobody that can convince me otherwise because there is nobody that can convince themselves that people should get things because of their race. Those people are racists. If you think that, that is the definition of racism, that someone deserves something because, of, because they are of a certain race. That's quite literally the definition of racism. And I'm saying the quiet part out loud, but yes, Joe Biden is a racist. Now, he is not a racist like someone in the Klan who would outwardly say white people are better. But he is someone who believes, whether consciously or unconsciously, that people deserve something because of their race. And I maybe he believes that maybe it's just a talking point that he has to say. But it is still racist. We go, today the court once again walked away from decades of precedent and make, as the dissent has made clear. That doesn't really make sense, but that's what he said, verbatim. It's exactly what he said. The dissent states that today's decision, quote, rolls back decades of precedent and momentous progress, end of quote. Well, Mr. President, precedent is not necessarily a good thing, and what progress? Again, we will talk about the equalizer, where the people that didn't deserve to be in the college but got in because of affirmative action, they dropped out a significant portion of the time. Also, what progress happened to the people who should have gotten into these colleges but didn't? Then he goes, I agree with the statement from the dissents, from the dissent. He's gaffing again. Mr. President, what are we doing? You don't deserve to be up on that podium. The court has effectively ended affirmative action in college admissions, and I strongly, strongly disagree with the court's decision. Because affirmative action is so misunderstood, which it's not, and actually, actually, it is. It's misunderstood by your side, Mr. President. It's understood by the it's misunderstood by the liberals and leftists who don't understand that it is basing someone's worthiness off of their race. But he goes because affirmative action is so misunderstood, I want to be clear. Make sure everybody is clear about what the law has been and what has not been until today. Let's see if you know what the law has been, Mr. President. Many people wrongly believe that affirmative action allows unqualified students unqualified students, he said it twice, because he himself is unqualified to be on that podium and be speaking, to be admitted ahead of qualified students. This is not, this is not, he said that again twice, what are, what's happening? This is not how college admissions work. I'm getting fed up of reading this. The former vice president is an idiot. He's an idiot. He is First of all, just lying, straight up, he lies. Second of all, he's lying badly. 
and he's gaffing, and I don't, I, it's hurting me to read this. On we go. That's actually exactly how college admissions work under affirmative action, Mr. President. Everything you just said is incorrect. We have talked about, and this is why there was a lawsuit, because it was shown that there are Asian students who are getting better grades and better scores and writing better essays than students of other races, and they're not getting in because there was a quota to hit. That's exactly what was happening. Mr. President, everything you just said was completely incorrect. Rather, colleges set out standards for admission, and every student, every student has to meet those standards. He said that twice again. What is, uh, does he like the number two? Is this like, what's happening? College set out standards for admission, and every student, every student has to meet those standards, except the ones that get in because of their race. Then, and only then, after first meeting the qualifications required by the school, do colleges look at other factors in addition to their grades, such as race. So he's not completely incorrect there. However, there is context missing. And the context is... So back up. Harvard, I believe, you need a 1350 SAT to be considered. Something like that. So, what's happening, and that's for Asian students, is that if the Asian students qualify, and I believe that other students needed to get less because they had quotas to hit, so they, they, they could only allow the best of the best of the Asians, but they could allow others from the others, from the other races. So what was happening was, if both students hit the requirements that they needed for who they were, then they would take race into account. However, race would then subsede, supersede, sorry, almost every other possible criteria. So, President continues, unfortunately. The way it works in practice is this. Colleges first establish a qualified pool of candidates based on meeting certain grade test scores, and other criteria, as we said, yes. Then and only then, then and only then, what is with him saying things twice? And it's from this pool of applicants, all of whom who have already met the school standards, that the class is chosen after weighing a wide range of factors, among them being race. Why should race be included at all, Mr. President? And this is for you too, not just the President, because I believe truly that each and every one of you listening to me is 10 times smarter than the current president that we have. Why should race be included at all? What metric does that provide for us? What metric does that provide for the university? And then he goes on, you know I've always believed that one of the greatest strengths of America, and you tired of hearing me say it, I'm tired of hearing you speak at all, and I can't even hear you speak, I'm tired of reading the words that you say, is our diversity, but I believe that. I do agree with this, I believe that one of the greatest strengths of America is also diversity. That is, that is a true statement, in my opinion. If you have any doubt about this, just look at the United States military, the finest fighting force in the history of the world. It's been a model of diversity, 
and it's not only been our made our nation better, stronger, but safer. That's mostly correct. That's actually all correct. And I believe the same is true for our schools. But I've always believed that the promise of America is big enough for everyone to succeed, and that every generation of Americans, we have benefited by opening the doors of opportunity just a little bit wider to include those who have been left behind. And so this is actually all very good. And I don't believe he wrote this for himself. I believe someone wrote this for him. But he's reading it, and he's only gaffing. He's only gaffed once in before. I believe our colleges are stronger when they are racially diverse. Why? Our nation is stronger because we use what we, because we are tapping, there's another gaffe, into the full range of talent in this nation. So I believe we should tap into the full range of talent in this nation. But I don't believe we need to be racially diverse. I don't believe that we need to be unqualified and be racially diverse. If we can get qualified students into every university and then be racially diverse, that would be amazing. However, I believe it is better to be the best of the best and only admit the best of the best regardless of diversity. Would diversity be good? Would that be like the cherry on top of the sundae? Yes, it would. However, if you just put a cherry in a cup, it is not an ice cream sundae. You need the actual ice cream. I also believe that while talent, creativity, and hard work are everywhere across this country, not equal opportunity. It is not everywhere across this country. So, he said that wrong. But he doesn't believe equal opportunity is everywhere across this country. And that is correct. The Asian students, who got the better test scores, did not get equal opportunity. That is true. We cannot let this decision be the last word. I want to emphasize. We cannot let this decision be the last word. What does that mean? What are you going... Are you threatening the justices? No, I don't mean threatening them, but are you threatening to pack the court? Are you threatening to overturn this ruling, which you can't do? What does that mean, Mr. President? The ruling is final. Now you can bring another court case, which possibly changes the president. But what are you saying? While the court can render a decision, it cannot change what America stands for. Fair enough. America is an idea, an idea unique in the world. An idea of hope and opportunity, of possibilities, of giving everyone a fair shot, of leaving no one behind. We have never fully lived up to it, We have never, but we've never walked away from it either. We will not walk away from it now. If he could just, like, read these tiny paragraphs, he would be one of the best speak, excuse me, one of the best speakers possibly ever. He didn't gaff that. Saying America is an idea, an idea unique in the world, is not a gaff. That is great phrasing. And I truly felt my heart warm as I read that. that. Because that is true. I truly believe that. But all this other stuff in between is not needed. And it's incorrect. And it's lies. And it is racist. We should never allow the country to walk away from the dream upon which it was founded. 
that opportunity is for everyone, not just a few. See, this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect, every word. We need a new path forward, a path consistent with the law that protects diversity and expands opportunity. Fine. So today I want to offer some guidance to our nation's colleges as they review their admission systems after today's decision. Guidance that is consistent with today's decision. We shall see. They should not abandon, let me say this again, they should not abandon their commitment to ensure bodies, to ensure student bodies of diverse backgrounds and experience that reflect all of America. That time I gaffed, because I'm this I'm reading this and he's gaffing, so I'm gaffing. He's rubbing off, it's contagious, regardless. I I don't disagree completely with that. I do believe that colleges should try to ensure bodies of diverse backgrounds and experiences. However, that should not come over the scores and grades and essays. That That is at the back. That is the background. I will go back to the Sunday, ice cream Sunday. Diverse backgrounds and experiences is the cherry on top of the ice cream Sunday. You need one. You don't need the other, but it's much better if you have it. What I propose for consideration is a new standard where colleges take into account the adversity a student has overcome when selecting among qualified applicants. I understand what he's saying, and that is not the worst idea in the world. However, everybody has overcome some adversity. And to make college admissions a who had the worst life leading up to this, is not a good idea. Let's be clear. Under this new standard, just as was true under the earlier standard, students first have to be qualified applicants. Perfect. They need the GPA and test scores to meet the school standards. Perfect. Once that test is met, then adversity should be considered, including, including its lack, a student's lack of financial means, because we know too few students of low-income families whether in big cities or rural communities, or getting an opportunity to go to college. That is what financial aid is for, Mr. President. What the poor kid, when the poor kid, when a poor kid, may be the first in their family to go to the college, gets the same grades and test scores as a wealthy kid, whose whole family has gone to the most elite colleges in the country, and whose path has been a lot easier, will the kid who faced tougher challenges has demonstrated more grit more determination, and that should be a factor that colleges should take into account in admissions, and many still do. It also means examining where the student grew up and went to high school. Why? Why? They have the same grades and same test scores. Either student can be admitted into a lesser university, and then if they do better, they can then transfer in, and it's easier to transfer into different colleges once you're in college if you've shown you can do it because you've shown you can succeed there. So take a year. However, I don't believe that it matters where you come from. This is a bit of a cheesy line, but it only matters where you are going. It means understanding that particular hardships that each individual student has faced in life, including racial discrimination that individuals have faced in their own lives. 
I'm going to read that again because a little bit weird. It means understanding that particular hardships that each individual has faced in life, including racial discrimination that individuals have faced in their own lives. So that's written poorly, spoken poorly. And it continues with the trope that we need to understand where you come from. But I honestly don't think that matters. Again, it only matters where you are going. It matters what you will do. It matters what... So we take what you have done, and we see who is better out of what you have done. And that is all we can take. The court says, quote, Nothing in this opinion should be constructed as prohibiting universities from considering an application's discussion of how race has affected his or her life. But it's through, but, so he, this is the Mr. President being an idiot, regardless, be it through discrimination or inspiration or otherwise. So, yeah. He, he gaffed that, which makes it hard to understand. But the truth is, we all know it. Discrimination still, dis- still exists in America. And he says that three times. Discrimination still exists in America. Discrimination still exists in America. And I can go into a long rant about that being untrue or being true, but not how he means it. There is some discrimination, probably, for everybody, though. It's not just for black people. It's not just for women. It's for everybody. There's discrimination in every walks of life for every single person in some way. Today's decision does not change that. It's a simple fact. It's not a simple fact. Not at all, Mr. President. If a student has has overcome, had to overcome adversity on their path to education, a college should recognize and value that. They should value that, but they should not value that over scores, and they should not value that over grades, and that was what was happening before. Our nation's colleges and universities should be the engines of expanding opportunity for up, through upward mobility, but today, too often, that's not the case, which is completely untrue. That's actually, let me go back, it's completely true, but for a different reason. It's true because colleges and universities today parrot the disgusting liberal talking points and don't actually give you anything of use. There is no reason for universities and colleges today for a majority of the life that people live. If you know the information and you can do the job, you should be able to do it. All colleges can do is give you a piece of paper that say you can do it. The statistics, one statistic, Students from the top 1% of family incomes in America are 77, are 77 times more likely to get into an elite college than one from the bottom 20% of family incomes. 77% greater, greater opportunity. Which is a little bit true. And that will always be the case. No matter what the races are, no matter what anything else is, that is because... Colleges value money. They want money. They're businesses like anything else. And if you can give them more money, you are more likely to get into that college, regardless of whether or not you deserve it. And that is a problem in of itself, and that's a separate problem, which has nothing to do with affirmative action. Today, 
For too many schools, the only people who benefit from the system are the wealthy and well-connected. The odds have been stacked against working people for much too long. He's going into something, and he's making a mis... He's misconstruing the argument, and he's conflicting the working class with affirmative action. And maybe this pulled the wool over some people's eyes, but it's not going to pull the wool over ours. Affirmative action was racist. It was based on race. It wasn't based on money. Wealthy and well-connected people will always have the upper hand over those who are not wealthy and well-connected. That's always going to happen. There's nothing we can do to change that unless we just kill everybody because we're in a communist or socialist society, which are the same things. Communism normally is put into place. Socialism is normally voted for. They're the same thing. Today, for too many schools, the only people who benefit... I already read that. We need a higher education system that works for everyone, from App, from Appalachia to Atlanta, and to far beyond. Yes, we do need a higher education system that works for everyone. However, I would argue that this one works for everyone. We can and must do better, and we will. How? And he, he's going to tell us, I guess. Today, I'm directing the Department of Education to analyze what practices help build a more inclusive and diverse student bodies, and what practices hold that back. Practices like legacy admissions and other systems that expand privilege instead of opportunity. I have no problem with the Department of Education analyzing what practices help build a more inclusive and diverse student body. However, it's a waste of resources, because what does that mean? Colleges and universities should continue their commitment to support, retain, and graduate diverse student and classes. That's not their commitment. They didn't make that commitment, Mr. President. You made that commitment for them. There's nothing that they said ever that has anything to do with diverse students or diverse classes or anything else. Their commitment is to teach the youth of America. That's all. You know, and companies, companies who are already realizing the value in diversity, should not use this decision as an excuse to turn away from diversity either. There is a use for diversity, absolutely. However, again, it should not be put over grades, and it should not be put over test scores. He continues, we can't go backwards, whatever, you, whatever that means. I know, you know, I know today's court decision is a severe disappointment to so many people, including me. But we cannot let the decision be a permanent setback for our country. The only people it's a disappointment to is the people that are racist outwardly and the people against whites and other races, such as Asians, and the people that don't understand. The people that are uninformed of what affirmative action was and what this court case does. But he continues, We need to keep an open door of opportunities. We need to remember that diversity is our strength. We have to find a way forward. We need to remember that the promise of America is big enough for everyone to succeed. You know, that's the work of my administration, and I'm always going to fight for that. And I want to thank you all. And I know you've been told I have a helicopter out there waiting to go up and do an interview in New York. I'll be talking to more about this in a live interview. But thank you very much, and we're going to have plenty of time to talk about this, but we're not going to let us break this break us. Thank you. And then there was two questions, actually there was one question, 
And because we all know the president does not answer questions because he's an idiot. And if a two-year-old questioned him on anything he said, the two-year-old runs circles around him. But the question was, President Biden, the Congressional Black Caucus, said that the Supreme Court has thrown into question its own legitimacy. Is this a rogue court? The president said, this is not a normal court. So, that doesn't mean anything. Whoever asked that question is an idiot. Uh, the Congressional Black Caucus is made up of idiots. Not because they're black, but because they're idiots. Because the Supreme Court has not thrown into question its own legitimacy. The Supreme Court ruled on a case. Just because you don't like that ruling does not mean that it is thrown into question its own legitimacy. That's not what that means. And there was, and the president responds with... An, excuse me, I need to take a deep breath. The president responds with an idiotic response. This is not a normal court. What does that mean? Nothing. And then there was another question. Should there be term limits for the justices, sir? And that question was not answered. <sighs> President, Vi uh, Vice President Kamala Harris also put out a statement. This one's significantly shorter. But I don't want to read it because it's more idiocy and I'm getting tired of it, possibly in another episode. <sighs> Can we just take a moment to reflect on that? I need to breathe. I got very worked up. My heart's racing because I hate our president. I hate him because he's an idiot. I hate him because he outwardly lies. I need to take another deep breath. I'm going to count to ten. You guys, just sit there for a second, please. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. On we go. There was another court case. Vice President Biden has promised that he would. Well, here we go. This is Biden v. Nebraska. In 2020, then presidential candidate, this is the facts of the case. Joseph Biden promised to cancel up to $10,000 of federal student loan debt per borrower. After winning the election, the Biden administration announced its intent to forgive, via executive action, 10000 in student loans for borrowers with an annual income of less than 125000 Nebraska and five other states challenged the forgiveness program, arguing that it violated the separation of powers and the Administrative Procedure Act. The district court dismissed excuse me dismissed the challenge finding that the states lacked judicial standing to sue the US Court of Appeals for the 8th circuit enjoyed the forgiveness program pending the appeal the questions here do nebraska and other states have judicial standing to challenge the student debt relief program which they do and does the student debt relief program exceed the statutory authority of the US secretary, secretary of education or does it violate the administrative procedure act which is as both and so, you know how I said earlier, well, first of all, actually, the opinions, thank God, there was only three. The opinion of the court by Roberts, a concurring opinion by Amy Coney Barrett, and a dissenting opinion by Kagan. And 
we already discussed how these are born. However, there is two paragraphs by Roberts, which are still a little bit born, but where he goes in, digs in on the descent, basically calls Kagan an idiot, and I'm going to read it because it's hilarious. Here we go. The sharp debates generated by the Secretary's extraordinary program stand in stark contrast to the unanimity with which Congress passed the HEROES Act. True. The dissent asks us to imagine asking the enacting Congress, can the Secretary use his powers to give borrowers more relief when an emergency has inflicted greater harm? The dissent can't believe the answer would be no. <laughs> can't believe. But in, imagine instead asking the enacting Congress a more pertinent question. Can the secretary use his powers to abolish $430 billion in student loans, completely canceling loan balances for 20 million borrowers as a pandemic winds down to its end? We can't believe the answer would be yes. The Congress did not unanimously pass the HEROES Act with such power in mind. A decision of such magnitude and consequence, on a matter of earnest and profound debate across the country, must rest with Congress itself or an agency acting pursuant to a clear delegation from that representative body. And then he uses their own words against them, because they are idiots, and they flip-flop, and he... and. Roberts writes, As then Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi explained, People think that the President, and this is her quote, this is Nancy Pelosi in quotes, People think that the President of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone, he can delay, but he does not have that power. That has to be an act of Congress. Press Conference, Office of the Speaker of the House, July 28, 2021. Ladies and gentlemen, their own words have now been thrown at them. They can say nothing else, because only two years ago, on July 28th, Nancy Pelosi said, the President of the United States does not have the power for debt forgiveness. Ladies and gentlemen, that answers the question, does the Student Debt Relief Program exceed the statutory authority of the United States Secretary of Education, or does it violate the Admi Administrative Procedure Act? Ladies and gentlemen, Nancy Pelosi agrees with you and me, and agrees that yes, it exceeds the statutory authority of the Secretary of Education. And she agrees that debt cancellation violates the Administrative Procedure Act. She agrees the President of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. This may be the only thing we agree on. But nonetheless, we finally have found common ground. Thank God. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have enjoyed listening. To me, get really, really worked up. It's been really fun for me. I enjoy this time with you greatly.
if you would like, you can go and watch In Real Life with Evan Halpern on YouTube. Or you can email me at inreallifewithevanhalpern at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And I hope to speak to you shortly.